I'm John Paquette. I'm VP Solutions for TIS's U.S. market. In our next session, we're going to be chatting with Dan Blumen, who's an industry consultant and thought leader. And we're going to be getting his thoughts pertaining to a recent survey he conducted on TIS's behalf. This survey was actually a follow-up to a 2019 piece he did for us entitled Clearing the Fog. And really, the purpose of it here was to get a pulse on the key trends pertaining to certain industry topics that are important to both TIS and our customers. Things like treasury management, payments, fraud, technology, and really looking at these topics both in terms of the current state and what's on people's minds as we start to look further ahead in the future. Uh, maybe an interesting thing to note about this survey is a lot of the feedback was actually captured through one-on-one -on -one conversations with treasury professionals and thought leaders, which you know, I'll definitely let Dan talk a little bit more about the methodology of the survey itself. But the point being, I think the, the feedback was captured in a very candid, fluid way that made for some really interesting output. So we're excited to share that with everybody here today. But before we dive into it, I just want to welcome Dan. And Dan, thanks for being here to share the insights pertaining to this survey. Thanks, John. And, and I'll, I'll go straight into the methodology so we, uh, we, we get people excited and interested. First of all, you can probably tell by my accent that I am not German or French or Italian. That said, this survey was global in scope and we interviewed people from North America, from Europe, Middle East, Africa, uh, Latin America and Asia Pacific. So it, it is global. We also uh, interviewed people in a variety of perspectives. We even included an industry recruiter to get their perspective on what's going on with treasury talents. So a lot of different people from tech vendors to bankers to corporates, um, a lot of time one-on-one. -on -one. They were all promised anonymity. So TIS doesn't know who we spoke to uh, and they are not uh, gonna be attributed to, you're not gonna understand when the, when the ultimate work product comes out, you won't know actually who contributed the comment. And that allowed for, a degree of bluntness, which is uh, fairly difficult to combine. It also allowed for a lot of richness in the data where you were able to go beyond, you know, is technology important? Obviously it is, into something like why is it important and what do you really understand about it? And, you know, where do you see it going? So that's the methodology in the introduction, John. All right, perfect, thank you, Dan. Yeah, I mean, there were quite a few interesting results, I think, but, you know, one in particular that caught my eye, I think, from the from the survey was, you know, the difference that you kind of honed in on between Treasury being critical or strategic. So I think there's a lot, there's this notion in the market today that Treasury is moving towards a more strategic position in, in, in the market, right? But I think you did a good job sort of differentiating between what's actually, you know, constitute Treasury being critical versus strategic. And maybe you could talk us through those results a little bit in a few examples. Sure. Being a strategic treasury sounds much more exciting than being just important to the running of things. It's like, you know, hey, mom, I'm a wheel on a tire on a, on a car. You know, no, I'm really a strategic part of the motive force. So actually staying with that kind of automotive analogy a little bit, you know, critical is being a tire. You know, you can't run a car without a tire. Strategic is thinking about the particular motive force you're going to use. Are you going to use a hybrid engine? Are you going to use an electric? Are you going to use some sort of a, a hybrid diesel? So that's really where we're talking about. Strategic is not just necessary to the running of the treasury, but it's thinking ahead of, you know, where are things going to come down? Some of the examples, um, you know, we heard were one treasurer meets monthly with the CFO to talk about macro trends, inflation, currency movements, commodity prices, things that are going to impact them. You know, other people really talk about their quantitative abilities and their ability to sort of talk about insurance in a more analytical way than perhaps, you know, the legal department, which might have handled Treasury before is. So a lot of people are, everybody's critical. Nobody's ever going to argue that Treasury is not critical. I mean, if you're not collecting money, you're not going to stay in business long. Strategic, that's another matter. And that's really part of the richness of the data we got. 
Yeah, that's great. Great points. I mean, maybe one follow up question there. You know, if if Treasury is becoming more strategic, I guess is technology helping here? Do you think, right? And I guess I define that as is Treasury becoming less operational because Treasury is helping to automate a lot of the operation. I mean, technology is helping to automate a lot of the operational tasks for Treasury. And does that in any way help Treasury to kind of move in the direction of becoming more strategic? You know, I wanted to correct you there. I mean, Treasury's not, Treasury should be becoming more strategic, and then maybe that's a missed opportunity, and that's really something that the participants in this conference can take away, is be more strategic. And I think technology is a good example of something because it's pervading everything. I mean, if if you go back, I'm old enough to remember what a tested telex is, and I don't think you ever came across tested telexes in your Treasury career, John, but there was a perception, you know, years ago in, in APAC, for example, that a fax was more secure than an electronic transaction. So a lot of stuff has changed and the technology and the speed with which that's happened has changed. Whether people really understand the technology options that are available to them is, is another question. I think, I think there was a lot. In the survey, a lot of people were confused about APIs, what they did, what their potential was, why they might be adopted now. And uh, so there was a lot of confusion in terms of Connectivity got a lot of people confused, and maybe maybe that's because uh, I'm thinking of a large provider, Swift in particular, is kind of the concept of message structure and network are two different things. So you can be using Swift if you're using message structure and you don't have to use their network. So there you go. I mean, in fact, that goes back to the origins of Swift, if you think about it. I mean, Swift was started by Burroughs which was a, a hardware. And the idea was if everybody standardizes their message format, we'll sell more message switches. It's changed. Yep. That's a great point. I mean, a good transition here. You talk about the way that data has been exchanged from fax to Swift to other methods, right? And, and sort of the uh, confusion in the market around APIs, or at least the interest in the ultimate efforts people are putting to try to put some function, functional use cases to APIs. Maybe we talk a little bit about the survey findings in terms of connectivity. And, you know, maybe more specifically, you know, both what did you hear in terms of connectivity during the gathering the results? And is there a difference between, I guess, the short-term view on connectivity, the necessities, what you need to actually, you know, complete your business processes on a on a long-term base basis, but or short-term basis, or versus as you go to the long-term view on connectivity, do people have a, a different view of what ultimately they want to move to in the future? Well, a couple of things in the findings on connectivity is one, uh, the good news is everybody agrees it's Treasury's job. Well, there's actually one exception. But tre it's Treasury's job to manage. They own bank connectivity. Generally agreed that it's, you know, because Treasury owns the bank relationship. So Treasury owns connectivity. The other thing that came up was the issue of did you want to have a lot of bilateral relationships or did you want to have sort of a single point of contact? And that's where you see the rub with APIs, because in a sense, APIs are bilateral. But on the other hand, if you're going to someone who's got an API library, it's a single point of contact. And so the way you might want to think of that is if you go back a few years, well, actually, no, it's still current. It, in Brazil, for example, value-added networks are used, and that's because the local standards are constantly changing, and it's much better for the corporate to let the van worry about it than to worry about himself. And the same analogy holds for APIs, where, at, where APIs may not all be standardized yet or all equal functional. You know, some have richer data than others. But if you've got a provider, a tech provider that's managing that for you, what do you care? Uh, you have a single point of contact. Thinking about the long term, well, that goes back to the issue of critical and strategic. I'm not so sure people are thinking long term. I and mean, one of the comments that came back uh, 
was, well, I still like host to host because we have a lot of proprietary data files that come through and that's the only way I could be sure I'm getting them. And I'm not sure that's a viable long-term strategy. Interesting, yeah, it's always, it's always interesting to hear the thoughts on APIs and bank connectivity in the market. Uh, maybe we switch gears here a little bit. We talk about payments. You know, as a as a payments company, we're always interested in the market view on payments. So generally, did you capture any opinions on these topics? And I guess you know, are payments viewed as something that can be strategic within a company, or are they really just viewed as part of business, something more that's you know operational, for instance? Well, the problem with with payments is everybody understands them, but they don't. And if you sort of think about some of the discussions you've had around payments going back not a few years ago to the most recent, well, I don't know whether it's the most recent financial crisis or the financial crisis, but one, but there was a lot of focus on moving from real-time net settlement to real-time gross settlement. And that kind of conversation is totally off the table. People aren't focusing on that. People are using, are essentially, when you look at the multiplicity of payment providers and payment modalities out there, they're looking at, hey, let's go back to real-time net settlement, which of course, is a potentially risky strategy if you're going to hit another financial crisis because where is the money and who really owns it and what are the obligations when that happens? So there's not a lot of strategy, um, I don't think, around payments yet. The difference might be everything is different depending on where you are geographically, where you are in the industry, where you are in your company life cycle. The B2C companies, business to consumers, definitely want to make it as easy as possible for people to do business with them. So they are definitely clued into payments as a strategic tool. How can we make this thing easy? Uh, and then they face this terrible, terrible you know, conflict of, well, let's see, I'm going to use Zelle, I'm going to use Venmo, I'm going to use PayPal, and it goes on and on and on. Plus, I'm going to take all the different credit cards, plus I'm going to do this. And you know, all of a sudden, it's like, well, uh, we wanted to be friendly. We didn't want to be sort of like confused in terms of, you know, our payment channels. The B2B are basically like, you know, we're happy with things are the way they are. And let's just let's just leave it for now. Thanks very much. Yeah. Do you think companies are at least viewing it as like a, you know, I guess a, an activity on its own, like payments is a thing that needs to be thought of at the company wide level? Or is it like AP has, you know, invoice automation and the need for inputting invoices and the need to make payments and Treasury has, you know, cash flow forecasting and cash positioning and also the need to make payments. You know, does it still kind of exist in people's minds in these different silos, you think, or are people thinking about it more as a unified process? It's something that probably, and we've talked about this offline before, it's stuff, something that should be an enterprise matter, but it sure as heck is not being considered as an enterprise matter. Everybody kind of has their own system, and it's even if you have APs going to own vendor payments, well, there could be a number of different ERPs at the company, and so there could be more than one person owning a set of vendor payments. And um, that's where you know the, the risks can come in. One of the observations is it's a lot easier to get data now than it used to be the next step is analyzing it with some of the tools that are out there, the BI solutions and just kind of good, you know, queries to your data lake. And I don't think people have real have thought about, boy, if I cloud all my payment stuff together, I might see some patterns and some things that were really shocking and surprising. And I might change how I do things and I might take a slightly firmer stance on stuff. So that's an observation that comes there. The other thing that that comes up is that 
Um, I remember back in the 80s, people talked about treasury centralization. That was a new shocking thing that was enabled, you know, going to be enabled by the common market in Europe. Well, now, you know, it's like you think that that horse has kind of been beaten pretty much to a pulp. It's not. If you're a decentralized company where people do their own thing, you can't take advantage of any of these uh, strategic opportunities and things like that. Now, there's a I'll give you a hint or a tip, if you will. Some companies don't like to use the word centralization because that can conflict with a management culture or be, or be perceived as corporate being heavy handed. So there are a lot of other euphemisms for that, you know, leveraging expertise, sharing best practices, and that'll get you centralized just as well without mentioning that terrible word. <laughs> yeah, interesting points there too. I mean, especially the point about unifying all your, you know, your payment data, act, at least from an activity standpoint, so that you can run things like, you know, AI and machine learning and pattern recognition on top of it, which, you know, to me, I have to think of fraud prevention and detection when you mentioned those words too, which, you know, kind of rings, uh, brings something up in my mind pertaining to the survey. It didn't seem like fraud and cyber risk got as much attention as they really deserve from the respondents of the survey. So just curious, you think there's any particular reason why, you know, is it a lack of awareness of the threats organizations are facing? Is it, you know, issues with who owns the fraud prevention topic, lack of executive support? Wondering if there were any kind of like really key items that came out of the survey pertaining to that. Well, you know, the, the thing about Treasury that makes it so interesting is treasurers never have a boring day. There's always there are always more things you can worry about than you have time to deal with. And I think people feel that given the complexity, first of all, we sort of dis distinguish between fraud and cyber risk. But I think people feel given the complexity of cyber risk, if IT says they've got it, well, then let's just, you know, don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's not worry about that. The questions that sort of follows from that, though, is does IT have the full context on what you're doing so they understand some of the touch points and some of the opportunities for cyber risk in what you're doing and how a better policy that they that they could execute facilitate could um, you know actually be a win-win for both cyber risk and for for the treasurer. One 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 respondent was very funny. He said, you know, uh, you really get attention to this when you have to do two press releases on ransomware. Um, that all of a sudden, you know, things escalate and, and become much more important. Um, this a somewhat surprising thing that came back is we asked participants whether uh, they were had these sort of huge security checklists to deal with, and they didn't. And that kind of surprised me was I would have expected, you know, these giant things coming in every quarter from security saying, you know, you got to complete this thing or, or you know, we're going to come and, you know, seize you. Um, there's the distinction between fraud and cyber risk, and on fraud, there's sort of greater familiarity and comfort with that. And the, you know, a lot of people are putting in um, standard operating procedures or playbooks to deal with that, and are, are sort of comfortable with the knowledge. And you know, it, I don't want to diminish a million dollars uh, or a million euros, you know, or a million uh, or anything, but that's a little bit more palatable than being, you know, whacked for a billion dollars because someone's drained, you know, some ransomware or, or otherwise drained accounts. Yeah, no, the really interesting points on fraud, like I mentioned, I was surprised by those survey results a little bit as well. You know, and maybe with, with that, we can jump into a wrap up question here. Was there anything that really surprised you with the interviews with participants? Anything that like really jumped out uh, in those results? You know, for me, there was one other one that definitely surprised me, or at least yeah, I found somewhat entertaining. It was, you know, the big gap in perception for how well treasurers understand technology. It seemed like based on the responses, treasurers felt like they understood te technology really well 
uh, but providers felt like maybe treasurers didn't understand technology that well or how to really use it from a day-to-day -day perspective. So that's one that you know definitely jumped out to me, but be interested to hear your thoughts as well. Well, I, I think, you know, the first surprise, I think we alluded to it, is I, uh, the cyber risk. I was surprised there was not more focus on that. But the second one was uh, regarding the technology. Because we asked uh, corporates and vendors and banks and others sort of what their understanding was, the corporates were all pretty comfortable with what they knew about tech. Yeah, we understand this. You know, we understand our options and what's going on. And um, the banks and the vendors disagree. The banks feel that, and the banks and the vendors feel that corporates don't fully understand some of the things that are out there and therefore are vulnerable to buying or adopting less optimal solutions than are available to them or not taking advantage of certain things. Um, so that, that surprised me. It didn't surprise me uh, why that might be the case. And I think it's sort of a it's a it's a frustrating thing that you know I've dealt with most of my career is that a lot Treasury doesn't get big budgets for some of the things it should in terms of for learning and for improving things and leverage stuff. So most people get their information from conferences, from meetings with banks, from going to an association meeting, from talking to their peers, and that's you know that that's good because it's very helpful. But sometimes that's just um, uh, repeating the, the errors of the past, and that's not necessarily a good thing. You you really, you know, if you want to learn about sort of how to leverage BI, talking to someone, you know, who, who may or may not know what that is, is not the best thing to do. And, you know, how to take advantage of your data lake or, you know, your data ocean is, you need, you need some more help. APIs was one of the things that came up, and I don't mean to beat this one, to, you know, to a pulp, but it was amazing to me how many people didn't understand APIs and how there's a tremendous amount of richness into it. And in terms of um, not just getting connect information on, you know, prior day bank information with that detail and then current day activity, but also some of the things that you might conventionally associate with, say, EBAM or bank account management. Some, some There are some capabilities to actually probe into that system and to see what the bank actually has on record for you, and that richness is not being captured. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. And, you know, for the listeners, this is really just a short preview into some of the key trends from the survey. There's a lot of other good results here. You know, definitely uh, check out the full results. We'll, we'll, we anticipate the full summary to be launched sometime within the next few weeks and will be available as a downloadable content piece on our website. Or, you know, feel free to drop us a note. We're happy to provide the results directly once they do become available. Dan, thanks for being here today. I thought this was a great conversation. Really enjoyed hearing about some of the results and what's on the mind of the market. Thanks for having me, John. Thank you.